0: Amen. Well, we are in First Peter, so grab your Bibles, or I uh, print it off on purpose. And by way of review, if you are in Christ today, you are not homeless. You have a Father who, who is the God and Father, and through Jesus, you are part of a new spiritual family called the church. No matter what your situation or circumstances and culture, you have a home in the Father's love, the Father's delight. You are not hopeless. Jesus is our living hope and our eternal inheritance. Amen. No matter how dark or difficult the fires of adversity are, we are never hopeless if you're in Jesus. And then we are not helpless. Say that. We are not helpless. We have new life through the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. How many are thankful that we have a Father who is a cheerful, cheerful giver, that there is Holy Spirit available today and every day, no matter what you're facing. So in Christ, the first 12 verses, in summary, we are not homeless, we are not hopeless, and we are not helpless. Let's continue in First Peter. Holy Spirit, would you open our eyes to the text? What did it mean then? What does it mean now? And how shall we live in light of it? We ask, Holy Spirit, that you would lead us and guide us into all truth, and the truth would touch us all the way down in the innermost place, that we would experience the full merits of the virtue and the freedom that Jesus Christ offers his disciples. We thank you, Lord, that we don't want to dabble in the truth. We want to abide in it. We don't want to put up with it and say, I generally, I agree. We want to delight and love your law and your gospel. We don't want to be indifferent towards your counsel, towards your wisdom and your ways. We want to be those who are faithful participants, eager to follow Jesus with an all of life, yes. So God, would you come upon the listener, the hearer, and the speaker this morning? God, enliven our inner understanding. Anoint us. To know you as you're revealed through your word and as your word points to you, Jesus. And as, Jesus, you are pouring out the life of the Holy Spirit in and through and upon your people in Jesus' mighty name. So all that Peter says throughout his entire letter is how then you should live, how you and I should live in light of the salvation we are participants of. How many are thankful for that order? He doesn't start with here's how you should live. Good luck. He says, here's how you should live, but couldn't live, but Jesus lived on your behalf. Now, as you connect with him through saving faith and refining, sanctifying faith, you will be enabled through the resources available in the Holy Spirit to live as the peculiar people of God. This is everything. In light of who you are, because of the saving, redeeming, reconciling, and rescuing work of God, you are now empowered and enabled to live a brand new life. Oh, I'm happy for that. How many have tried to live good on your own, and how'd that go for you? And so today, Peter continues really the conversation about what does it mean to live out of this great salvation and I want to say right here up front, we live in an hour where, where we really need to understand the hour. We need to understand what God really has done in and through his son Jesus and what God is doing in and through his son Jesus through the yes and partnership of his people called the church. We need to understand these dynamic realities. So let's read the text and we'll make a few comments and we'll be on our way. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him, you believe in God who raised him from the dead and glorified him. And so your faith and hope are in God. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. to you, this is the word of the Lord, and the people said, "Thanks be to God, thanks be to God." What we're talking about here is Peter presents a vision where our theology, theos and ology, the study of God, what we think and what we say and speak and study of God, is meant to inform our ethics, how we shall live. Now, the moment in which we live is everyone's an expert on how we are to live. Every single person on the planet who has a smartphone is both prosecutor, defendant, judge, and jury. Everyone has a vision for how we're meant to live. But in our cultural moment, there's not a value for theology because we live suffocating within the imminent frame. There's not a God who intervenes. There's not a God that the world revolves around. It's only us. It's only my expression. It's only my makeup it's only what I choose and the problem with that is we are, we don't have the resources to enable us even those who have a vision for what they think every person should live like they're not attached to resources to even enable them to live out of their own convictions so what you'll find is for the everyone has a vision of how we should live woke or whatever but but the problem is even those who lob the, their 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 assessment their um their assessment, their, their principles for how we should live, even they cannot live up to their own version of what they think is virtuous. And so our theology, what Peter is showing us, our vision of God, we're gonna get there, forms and fuels our ethics. In other words, because of who God is and what God has done, who we are and we're becoming in light of him, then we can answer the question how we are meant to live. And so Peter starts with this word about a mind that is alert and sober. In the original language, it's, it's gird up the loins of your mind. How many have heard that phrase in this last week? <laughs> Answer, nobody. But in the ancient Near Eastern or, or custom of the Middle East, men would wear large and lengthy outer garments, And in order for them to to quickly respond to a tragedy, a situation, or circumstance, they would have to pull up their garment, tuck it into their way so that they could run. And so what Peter is saying here, in light of the hour that we live, believers need to have their minds girded up so when the Lord speaks, highlights, or moves, we're ready to run with the yes of obedience. That's what that word means, to be alert, awake girded. It's the same exact picture we see in Exodus 11 and 12 when Israel was getting ready to be rescued from their bondage to slavery. It says that all of them were to have their cloaks tucked into their ways because deliverance was coming. Do we understand the imperative of the hour for the church to know what she thinks and in whom she trusts? You can't take someone else's word for it, step into the flow of what God thinks, what God says, what God is saying, what God has promised. You can't afford to just say, well, that's someone else's job to think theologically. No there is an unprecedented, gale-forced wind from every direction and culture pulling you, forming you how to think, and therefore how to live. But as believers, we don't listen to the hurricane forces. We listen and we draw how we're meant to live from the very character and nature of God and how he's revealed himself. So our minds have to be alert. So turn to your neighbor and say, gird up the loins of your mind. It's so funny. No one talks like that. But hey, how many see that mental picture? You got your garment tucked in. I'm ready to respond. How many would say, "Chatty, we could go home and price of admission was worth it? How many would say that many times your garment isn't tucked and you're unprepared? So Peter has a word. Get alert. Gird up your minds. When he speaks and when he moves and when he's revealed at the end of the age, you want to be ready to receive and respond in real time to the unfolding revelation of God through his son Jesus. And then fully sober. This is obviously using language about those who are intoxicated by drink, but, but really it has a deeper influence is that, that really Peter's saying you cannot afford to A, be asleep and B, to be under the intoxicating influence, the lulling, doling influence of any other stream but the stream of God's Holy Spirit. This, is, this hits all of us right between the eyes. We're not only oftentimes are we sleepy, our minds are unprepared to think God's thoughts to respond to whatever the complexity of the situation. But then secondly, we are, we're not sober-minded. We've been influenced by the narratives, by the, the lusts of the flesh, the ideologies and agenda of the world. And before we know it, we're not thinking after God's thoughts. We're thinking of being swept up in the cultural tidal wave of our current moment. And so Peter's saying right here at the beginning, your minds must be alert and those things that are influencing you must be the, the presence and, and, and the wisdom and ways of God because this hour demands your readiness and your sobriety. Amen. So gird up your minds, no other intoxicating. And then he says this, I love this, set your hope on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. In other words, live with the end in mind. Our family from IHOP, which says it like this, that intimacy with the Lord and urgency, revelation of his imminent return are meant to sustain and fuel our current practices and pursuits. We have to be awake. We have to be alert. And all that Peter will say flows from this. Many people think, oh, Christians, they just have blind faith. They, You know, they they just, religion's a crutch. I want you to know, I love the songs that Jade picked. We, we, don't, we don't just wishfully hope or think. Our faith rests on the, the God who has revealed himself through Jesus Christ, the King of the Jews. 500 eyewitnesses, not only to his death, but to his resurrection. The most scrutinized historic reality on the planet. And we still tell time by the Son of God who split history with his life, death, and resurrection believers are not dumb they're not backwards they're not now maybe some okay but I want you to know we're not called to a blind faith but a robust faith that has foundations as deep as the eternal uncreated God and so we need to be alert and sober. Why? Because so many things will, can weigh us down. Come on, someone say amen. You can be discouraged and defeated by your thoughts and by your emotions and by your feelings. And Peter's saying that is inevitably going to come, but you don't have to be a victim to your emotions, to the thoughts that swirl around. You can be awake, alert, and sober so that when I speak and when I move, you're ready with a yes. And then he says, set your hope. Everyone say, set your hope. I say it like this. A hope-filled vision of the end is meant to motivate, empower, and sustain our present practices, pursuits, and purpose. Even in the face of suffering, marginalization, oppression, adversity, and even death, believers have the living hope of Jesus Christ on the inside of them. So the first pillar Theological foundation upon which we build our ethical reality, how we're meant to live, is we have a living, eternal hope. How many are thankful for hope this morning in Jesus Christ? Number two, we, it goes on. It says, As obedient children do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am Holy. The holiness of God has fallen on hard times. We love a God who is love and merciful and compassionate and kind and generous and just. But I want you to know the number one descriptor of God is his holiness. This is a good thing because he doesn't change his script or his narrative or his play based on circumstances, his opinions. Is he having a good day or bad? All that he does is is pure, is other, is radiant, is beautiful, is unmixed and undefiled. It's beautiful. It's excellent. God is holy. Therefore, all that he is and does flows through his holiness. His love is a holy love. Come on, somebody. His his justice is a holy justice. Holiness is who God is all the way down. And he's awesome. His love, his mercy, all those things are true about his character. But Peter says, because you've been born again, now, in all honesty, the entirety of your life is you're meant to live like father, like son. Like, come on, like daughter, like Father. The vision Peter gives is as our minds are informed through the scriptures and the gospel and the truths of Jesus and his life, death, and resurrection, you and I then are called to abandon our life of autonomy and ignorance when we ran the show, and now our invitation is to increasingly become like the Father of mercy who has adopted us into his family. Be holy because I am holy. I like this, this is a new, I'm not saying this is original, but I, I thought of a new cool idea of holiness. Holiness is living wholeheartedly for Jesus each day in light of and in hope of the day when Jesus Christ returns to finish what he started. So let me say that again. Holiness is living wholeheartedly for Jesus every day in light of and in hope of the day when he comes and brings the renewal of all things. This is holiness, living fully alive, fully alert, fully sober, given over to the Father and his plans and his purposes, practicing, adopting the, the way of Jesus together. This is the call to holiness, to wholeheartedness. To be, I love this, one commentator said this, to be holy as God is holy is a pervasive holiness that reaches every aspect of our personalities. It involves not just avoiding outer sin, but maintaining an inner delight in God and his holiness as an undercurrent of our hearts and minds throughout the day. Come on, I love that, undercurrent This is the call to holiness, to live fully alive and delighting and devoted to God. So we we have hope. That's a pillar. Number one is our eternal hope. Number two, the pursuit of holiness, reflecting the Father's character and conduct. And the only reason we can do this, again, it's, to, it's, it's important to remember from Peter, the only reason we can pursue this kind of life is because of what God has done in and through his son Jesus on our behalf. Amen. So holiness, does it involve your partnership? Yes. But there is one on the other end of your effort who is enabling you every step of the way to increasingly become like the Father in his holiness. It is the nature of children to want to imitate their parents. You don't have to teach Ethan, my fourth child, to imitate his dad for good and for bad. It's built into our DNA as kids to want to be like those who have authority over us. Christians just have happen to have the best father. <laughs> who is so beautiful and so radiant and so consistent and so pure and glorious and our entire invitation and in pillar number 2 is the holiness of God and his ability to make us holy as he is holy mm. so the the believer's hope the pursuit of holiness pillar 1 and pillar 2 number 3 to live in reverent fear of the lord Since you call on a father who judges each man's work impartially, live your lives as foreigners here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from your empty way of life, handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. And so this, this vision of what Peter is saying here is that even if you're oppressed and overlooked in culture, which was happening to the audience Peter's writing to, to the church of Asia Minor, even if you do everything right and the other guy still gets the job, don't fret it because if you're a believer, all that you fa- say, think, feel, all that you do, it's all unto him anyway and there is no impartiality with him. He is totally just, he is totally true, he is totally good, he is totally holy. His mercy and his justice flow from his holiness and his love. And so Peter is trying to give his, his children in the faith a vision to live with an awe and a fear and reverence that the Father who is merciful is also the Father of all creation. How many know we actually need both? We need a revelation of the fear of the Lord. We don't just flippantly say or think or dabble or do. God wants a healthy and well-deserved fear of him to be a part of our life. In fact, if you just read the revival narrative through the book of Acts, every time Luke goes out of his way to say, and the church lived and the fear of the Lord and the church grew. The church lived in the fear of the Lord and the church grew. In other words, when God is, is, is worshipped and, and honored in his rightful place, everything in the church can then come into alignment and agreement with his supremacy, his sufficiency. And when that alignment is there, the glory is there. And so Peter's saying... Live as foreigners here. Don't be gutted when you don't get it. Don't lose your soul by gaining it all. He's saying everything you do as a believer is as unto your Father. And He is good, He is righteous. Don't get caught up in the rat race, striving for acceptance and approval and applause from Babylon because it'll cost you in the end. Jesus said the exact same thing when he said, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? And so Peter speaks a pastoral word to his people, the believers that are scattered, that are feeling the weight of cultural pressure. They're feeling the weight, as we'll see, of their old past, their old sinful habits. They, they feel the pull and the marginalization of those that they work alongside of in culture. He's saying, guys, when you live with the reverent fear of the Lord, it doesn't ever matter what happens externally. You can always be a success when you live in light of Him and unto Him. Live in the reverent fear of the Lord. And the reality is, the only thing that rescues you and I from an empty, futile, frivolous, and fruitless life is the blood of Jesus Christ. And so yesterday, I've been, I've been reading and studying, quoting this passage all week, every prayer run, every walk, at night, in bed when I can't sleep. And I'm like, God, why does Peter drop this part right here? I get that we have a father live in fear. He's fair. He's just. It's unto him and on his behalf. It frees us from competition, comparison, because it's all about just doing all of life unto him. He's a father who's fair. But then why go into this, the blood of Jesus frees? And can I just, I just want to read it as I just wrote a paragraph. I said this I've been wrestling with Peter and his flow of thought, from his call to be holy, a girded up mind, to be sober-minded, to live in light of our eternal hope, and then this passage about the blood of Lamb. What's the significance? And here's what I think. I think what it's saying. We live in an age where we are looking for everyone and everything else to save us and deliver us from our predicament but Jesus. We will not be saved nor will we arrive at utopia from the latest postmodern philosophy coming from the humanities department of our universities. What Peter is saying is that God's eternal plan has been and will always be through the blood of his son that the enemies of God are made friends, that the orphans are adopted, that the bound and the broken are set free. In other words, since you call on a Father who judges each man's work and partially live your lives as strangers here in reverent fear, for you know that it was not with perishable things. The reality is you and I, from the garden to today, have tried to fix our own mess through our own means and measures. And what what Peter is writing by the Holy Spirit, he's saying that humans... Always think that the trouble they get themselves into, that they, the ones who created the mess, can then clean up the mess, but that's not how it works. The the beauty of the gospel is in our sin, in our rebellion, in our inescapable cycle of emptiness of life, futility, gain the world, forfeit the soul, in that endless cycle of despair and depression and decay and death there was one who intervened in the chaos and the helplessness and the hopelessness Jesus Christ alone and I just I feel it like like if you just watch the news or read the newspaper that all of us are looking for for news to save the humanity from the reality of uh, of the the issues of our day but what Peter is saying is it's the blood of Jesus as believers live and move and have their being in the Father's love and the grace of the Son, like we are, we are saved from our temptation to look to anything else to rescue us from our, our, our impossible-to-solve-by-human-means-and-measures reality. And Peter says this, that the blood of Jesus alone is the solution for what ails humanity. And what's so tricky about this whole theology forming and fueling ethics is that all of those those ethical imperatives to, to be woke, to listen to the voice of the oppressor, the the, the, the the theories and the agendas of culture with no reference to God, it is a perpetual moving target that will burn. Not only individuals down, but civilizations down. When you take God out of the center and no reference for God, but yet still claim that utopia and flourishing is the goal, but there's no resources, inner or outer, to get to the goal, all you're left with is what's popular in the hour. And it's a moving goalpost. It is for perpetually what's in today? Am I offensive? Am I true? And what Peter is saying for the believer, the only one who can save you out of your mess is the one who intervened into the mess and took the mess upon himself, gave his life so that we could be put back to right and become instruments of righteousness. So this is all. I, I, it makes sense to me. I hope that make that made sense. Why did you you were you were, you're redeemed from the empty? How many believe we are seeing people destroyed by reaching for everything else but God, and it's just emptiness. It's straw. It's fodder. It's not solid. It's not substantive. The the mass exodus of people and and, and the realities of deconstruction, and I want to say this just as a pastor and as someone who's gone through it. I've gone through college and upper grad school. Like, deconstruction is, is inevitable. How many have ever had to think, man, why do I really believe that? Raise your hand. Okay, every single believer. What's not healthy is staying there. And I want you to know that the the reconstruction that God's trying to call those who are in that valley of decision, and is the gospel true? Did Jesus really live, die, and rise again? Like God wants to call you out of that perpetual phase of deconstruct, deconstruct, and he wants to build you back up on the solid foundation of the gospel. So again, our theology forms and fuels our ethics. Who God is informs how we're meant to live. So now I hope, I'm, I'm, and I'm so happy, the Lord reminded me this morning as I was praying and walking, Chatty, you have like nine more weeks for Peter because Peter's gonna talk about this. So I wanna start this conversation now. We're gonna go deeper in the weeks ahead, amen? Just say amen so I can move on. Trust me, Peter has a lot to say about who God is and how we're meant to live in the culture. So this is just the kickoff, the start, Say amen so I can move forward because I want to say so much. There's too much. There's just too much. But I want to at least paint the picture for the problem when you hear from news, from social media, from influencers, when people are telling you how you should live without reference to God, it is a straw man at best. It is a frivolous, futile effort. Without reference to God, the whole house of cards collapses. This is part of his holiness his otherness, his uniqueness. We need the God who's chosen to reveal himself and then he's the one who enables a response so that how we live doesn't change from day to day to day, but it's solid and it draws its influence and it draws its enabling presence and power from the unshakable reality of the holiness and justice and love of the Father. And I'm telling you, in our hour, as many things are collapsing, the church has the unique privilege to be that people who can stand no matter the size of the tidal wave. We don't stand. Our faith is not built on a party, on a platform, or a person. It's built on the blood of the Lamb who wasn't... So here's the reality. We live in a day where where, where, where we're honestly... If you just trace the, I'm reading a book called Cynical Theories, or it's just too deep. We should do a book group about it. But, but the reality is that many of us have, we, we're seeing the fruits, and I, even me, and, uh, uh, do I go there? Do I go there? Do I go there? Do I go there? Suffice it to say, the invitation for believers is to engage our minds and our hearts and our hands for the hour ahead. Everyone say head, heart, hands, thinking well, being well, and living well with Jesus Christ at the center. Amen. We're going to revisit that 10 times over the next few weeks, I promise. So the believer's hope, pillar number one, the pursuit of holiness, because God is holy like father, like son, pillar number two, living in the reverent fear of the Lord who's made provision and ransom and rescue for the empty way of life that we inherited from our forefathers, pillar number three. And number four, the easiest, commitment to a deep love for one another. (laughs) Everyone should be laughing about that. He goes on to say, through him you believe in God. who ri- so, so now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for one another. Love one another deeply. Amen. For you have been born again, not of imperishable seed, but of not a perishable seed, but of imperishable seed through the living and enduring word of God. For all men are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord stands forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. That community, that, that location where we find hope, we find encouragement on our pursuit of holiness. We're reminded that God is our Father, that He is holy and just and true, and that the blood of Jesus alone can redeem us. It's only when we commit deeply to the community that bears the image of the Father that you and I will find the resources collectively to stand in the storm of the hour. What Peter is saying is, he doesn't have a vision for a bunch of individual, strong Christians. He's saying, as you together have sober minds, minds that the gir- you're girded up, you're ready, that together you have this collective hope that even as Jesus died and rose, Jesus is coming not for just persons but for a people. And as you and I, are, are we need each other regularly to be reminded that holiness is worth the effort. You and I need to be reminded not to live for the applause and the accolades of culture, but to live with the reverent fear of the Lord at the center. And as you and I wrestle together on all these implications, what the great missiologist said, uh, the great missiologist Leslie Nubian, the community that actually lives and believes the gospel is God's hermeneutic for the world. And what's, what is hermeneutics? The interpretive lens through which the world can go, oh, those guys, they are kind of still knuckleheads, but at least they believe and live out of what they confess. In other words, you can still, there's, you can't, the stigma of believing in the, the, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus may always be there, but what God is calling us into as a church in this hour is to be a community that lives out of our true identity through the gospel. And as we live out of that commitment, because we have, a, remember, we've been born again, so we have a new identity, a new father, a new spiritual family. And I don't care how you cut it, family is hard. Come on, everybody, be honest with each other. We're almost done. I'm landing the plane. And that's the language Peter uses, man. Brothers and sisters. <sighs> <sighs> But isn't it interesting, our our eternal hope, the pursuit of holiness, the fear of the Lord, and he lands the plane, the the last pillar that you can build your ethical framework, how you're meant to live, is to be a community of agape love. You're laying down your rights for each other. You're forgiving. You're being reconciled. And I I actually don't love, but the language of deep let me let me read what the word actually means deep is a strong word that emphasizes great effort and energy to accomplish something it has to proceed from the whole being there's no middle ground love must dominate church relationships thanks a lot darn it come on somebody how we treat and love and serve each other has direct implications For the compelling and winsome reality of our witness to culture. Family's hard, it's difficult, period. And it will require great energy and effort. But all great things do. How many would say amen to that? Anything worth living and dying for will require great energy and effort. But how many are thankful for the promise that the fruit of the Spirit is Love, we have resources from heaven to enable us to do relationships different than those who don't know or follow Jesus. Amen. Yeah, OK, all men are like grass, so the futility of building and all that is just going to be done there. So in light of our hope, the call to holiness, the fear of the Lord, deep love for one another, and a culture of tribalism, us versus them, but Jesus at the center living out of our new identity as those who have the seed of God's imperishable word on the inside of us, then we can answer the question, how shall we live? How shall we live? Scott McKnight gives an unbelievable framework there. Three questions. When we decide how we're meant to live in the complexity of our culture, past, present, and future, does the activity conform to the character of God is it the natural outcome of a life that has benefited from the salvation of God, and will it stand up to God's scrutiny in that final day when He ushers us into His presence? In light of hope, holiness, fear of the Lord, love for each other, we're 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 prepared to go on a journey to live as the peculiar people of God. And I do mean journey. Everyone say journey. We don't just arrive there. <laughs> Thank you, God. So, a few questions as we close. Is your mind girded up? Have you studied the scriptures? Have you lived on the fumes of past encounters but failed to continue in the Lord? It's time to wake up. It's time to gird up the loins of your mind and to allow the story the narrative of Scripture, of the beautiful traditions of our faith, the reality of the gospel, to begin to form and fashion your vision and view of life? Is your mind sober? Or are you under the intoxicating influence of worry, anxiety, fear, depression, confusion, rage, anger are you both alert and sober number 2 have you and i taken serious the call of god to holiness do we, we do we really believe that god through the provision of his son and the holy spirit that you and i can really live a like father like son or daughter reality Do you think holiness is just like so yesterday? Boring, crusty, stale. Number three, are you, are you stuck in the rat race? Or like Peter said, the empty way of life, handed down from generation to generation? Or are you experiencing the John, John 10, 10, the life that is life to the full This is a good one. Does the thought of Jesus' imminent return shape or form or sustain your life, your pursuit, and your passion? Are you busy trying to make your grass greener and your glory brighter? Are you putting all of your chips on the table that the one who said it will do it? We can take it to the bank and build a whole life on the promises of God's word. And as I close, I just, I watched a teaching about youth ministry this week from Radiant Network, amazing teaching. And when you know the hour, you know what play to call. How many believe that it's the bottom of the ninth inning with two outs and a full count? So we don't run the bases the same when it's the first inning, zero outs, zero pitches. Amen. Okay, who doesn't watch baseball? Let's choose a different sport. There's two minutes left in the fourth quarter and you're down by five points. Do you run up the middle or do you start calling some button hook passes and Hail Mary's? And what Peter is saying, and if this is what Peter was saying 2,000 years ago, wake up, be sober, be alert. The imminent return of Jesus is just around the corner. Set your full hope on the grace that's coming. Be obedient, live free and fully for the Father. You have the privilege of bearing His image and His likeness. You've been redeemed from every futile, empty way of life that you inherited. You can live for with substance, with security, for legacy as you live in light of who God is. I mean, this is what this is. What I feel like the force that Peter's writing with. He's like, dude, you got to know the hour. It's the bottom of the ninth. It's the fourth quarter. And guys, God is not calling us to be fearful. He's calling us to wholeheartedly jump into the story that's unfolding through His Son Jesus. There is grace and our mercy. We were. I love this. Look at this. We were born again for such a time as this. Isn't that crazy? I didn't just say born. I'm saying God, it wasn't your idea to go after him. It was his idea to go after you and to include us in his story. Goodness, can you stand on your feet with me? Come on up, Tim. I just believe that, that, that in one of those four areas, the Holy Spirit would actually pinpoint a specific thing. He would tug at your heart and say, I want to speak to you in regards to this. How many would say that their mind is weary from the hour? Raise your hand. Just be honest. I'm raising mine for crying out loud. You're just... And I want you to know, you can't escape it Externally, you've got to go up. Can I get an Amen? You can't escape the suffocating tidal wave of the imminent frame, the secularization of like you've got to go up, you've got to go higher. Amen. But how many would say that your mind is weary? You need the Lord to gird up the loins of your mind this this morning. Just lift your hands. Father, right now, we speak to the mind of our church. We speak peace. In the midst of the chaos and the clamoring of our cultural moment, we speak the gospel truth over our minds. Father, I pray for a hope-filled vision of the end that would right now break into our mindsets, God, that would free us to live fully for the Father and his glory. Maybe it's holiness. How many want to grow in holiness? How many want God to make them holy this morning? Just lift your hands. It's just because the Bible says lift up holy hands in prayer. I do, I love First Timothy two, and I just when I engage my body, it, something happens on the inside. I'm not saying you have to, but if you want to, just say, Father, I want to be holy like You're holy. I want to come out of sin? I want to come out of compromise. I, you are holy, and you can make me holy just like you are holy. Maybe those areas, those, those shady, shadowy areas, you just say, Father, let your light break into my darkness this morning. Just begin to invite his healing, his cleansing, his love, his holiness into your heart. would say that you could take a holy, a a healthy dose of the, the reverence and the fear of the Lord today to realize that He is always with us. That He is the Father. He is the Holy God who is full of mercy and justice. Father, I pray that our church would live in the reverence and the fear and the awe and the wonder of who You are. Not who we've shaped You to be, our own opinions, our own theories, our own golden calves, but as you really are, the holy one, the worthy one, the king, the Lord. I pray that we would have a vision of your glory and of your greatness. How many want to be wise? The beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. Seeing God for who he is as he really is. How many, this fourth one, a commitment to a deep love for one another, where we work out these implications of the gospel. Lord, I pray that you would put deep love in the hearts of our people. Father, I pray that we wouldn't see each other, 2 Corinthians 5:16, through the eyes of the flesh, but we would see each other through the lens of Christ. We ask that we would have vision like Jesus to see the gold and the treasure buried beneath the dirt. <laughs> how many would say they want strength in this realm of deep love for one another refreshment commitment I do so Holy Spirit come just say that prayer Holy Spirit come fill us enable us and empower us to live and respond in real time to who you are and what you're doing in our current hour in Jesus name we all said amen. Amen. Timothy's going to play if you want to stay and respond. If not, God bless you. Thank you for sticking with us. We'll see you later. Bless you.